On Wednesday of this week, I was down in Connecticut visiting with my family who lives down there, and I got to go bird watching with an old friend of mine named Rodney. Now, Rodney and I grew up in the same town, and uh, he became a believer actually in high school. He's an atheist, kind of agnostic before that, and God got a hold of his life. He ended up going to Gordon College and also attended Gordon-Conwell Seminary, and he's now pastoring a church one town over from the town that we both grew up in. And so we got to spend some time together just kind of talking about ministry and some of the challenges I've been facing. He's been doing this quite a bit longer than I have and, you know, just kind of pick his brain about family stuff and all those kinds of things. But he also got to talk a lot about birds. And so uh, he picked me up at the house and we we drove off to this little uh, stream on Boombridge Road, right down the road from where my parents live. And he had gone on this website, I didn't really know of, called eBird. And apparently on eBird, it shows you where kind of rare birds have been spotted in the area by other birders, and you can go check them out. And he was really hoping to see a snow goose. And so we, we drive in, and he looks down the little stream, and he goes, there it is. It's a snow goose, you know? It looks like a, kind of like a white bird, you know, white bird floating in the water to novice birders like myself. But he started to describe the bird, and, you know, it had a black black tail feathers at the end, but the rest of the bird is white. It's a little smaller than kind of a Canada goose. And um, while we were there, another birder showed up, this older guy with his grandson, and they were checking out the birds, and they saw the snow goose too. And the two of them started talking. And the conversation, I was surprised at how much of it was a little bit over my head. If you didn't know this, if this is your first time here, I'm kind of into birds, but apparently not that much. And so, you know, they're talking, and, and we get back in the car, and I go, I go, wow, Rodney, like, you know a lot about birds, and, you know, how long have you been doing this? And he said, oh, about two years. And I went to myself, oh, so, so have I. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling of, wow, look at that person and where they're at. You know, you run to someone at work that has been doing the same job about you, but somehow they've received more promotions, or they're just, you look at them and you say, wow, they are so good at their craft. Or maybe in the home, you're, you know, you're a mom, and you just, you see this other mom, and you've been doing it longer than her, but you just look at her and you go, wow, she's got it all together. She's this incredible homeschool mom doing crazy stuff, you know, I don't know, Aunt Voskamp, who knows, okay, on steroids, whatever, right? We all have this sense sometimes of... You know, feeling, feeling inadequate or less than, or like we haven't really progressed on the journey of some of these different areas that we want to grow in. As we approach a new year, you know, we're talking about New Year's resolutions and thinking about all these different ways in our life that we want to grow. So the question that I want to ask today is this. How do we progress in our faith? Maybe you felt that comparison even when it comes to being a Christian. You look at other people around you and you think, wow, look at that guy on the stage. He's got it all together. Or man, that person's got this gift. Or that person does this. Or man, they're so loving or forgiving. You want, man, how can I grow in the ways that people around me have grown? And of all the things that we could grow in this year, This is the one that I think God would want to highlight above, over, against bird watching. 
How do we become more like Jesus in 2018? How do we, how do we hit that growth curve that Rodney hit in bird watching and not Brian? I guess it wasn't like that. It was just kind of like this, okay? So we're starting a new series this week. It's called Intimacy, Identity, Authority. A progression of growth in our faith. And in some ways, it's also really a cycle as we're going to explore. In two weeks from today, we're going to have a special guest speaker. This guy's name is Jamie Lash, and he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna hit it out of the park talking about identity. This is kind of the thing that he travels around talking about all the time. I'm super excited, so please don't miss in two weeks on January 14th, special guest speaker. But for the next two weeks today and next week, I'm going to be talking about intimacy, this first word, talking about knowing God. And to do that, we're going to look at the book of 1 John. Now, 1 John was written by the Apostle John, or St. John, as you will. He was potentially or possibly Jesus' best friend while he was on this earth. They were tight. John was one of the 12 disciples, and he was also part of this select group of the three. And he even refers to himself in his gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So this guy, I mean, if Jesus had a best friend, it was John. All right? And this is why he writes this letter of 1 John. John wrote the Gospel of John, he wrote the book of Revelation, he wrote these three little letters, this one being kind of the longest, but it's also short compared to his Gospel. In the book of John, these are the reasons that he gives for writing this letter. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He says, as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. And then he also says, we write this to make our joy complete. Now, if you kind of read through the book and put all these pieces together, he's really got two things that are going on here in this little book of 1 John. There's some group that's teaching something weird about Jesus, mainly that he wasn't the Messiah and that he didn't come in the flesh. And John actually says, whoever says that Jesus is not the Christ or the Messiah or he didn't come in the flesh, that is the Antichrist. Just to note this sidebar, that word is never mentioned in the book of Revelation, even though John also wrote it. We won't go there, but there's something to that. Okay? So that's kind of what he's writing about, right? He's writing to counter these thoughts about Jesus and clarify this person that they have put their faith in was a real person. This one that they've seen, they've touched. He uses language like that. And the second thing you see over and over again in this book is the theme of love. He's calling them to love one another and also stating that those that don't love one another are those that don't put their faith in Jesus. So all through this book, if you give it a read of the next few weeks, he draws, he draws all these contrasts, light and darkness, life and death, love and hate, born of God, of the devil, righteous in actions and evil actions, being from God and not from God. He's trying to help his followers not fall into some trap of some false teaching and also, you know, wrong ways of living, Okay. Thanks for staying with me during that. There's a lot in this little book, but those are the main themes. And John actually, I believe, sums it up perfectly with this one sentence in 1 John 3.23. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, a person, the Messiah, and to love one another as he has commanded us. If you want to know what the book of 1 John is about, that's it right there. 
It's believing in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and loving one another as he has commanded us. So we're going to look at a small section of this today and another small section next week. But here's the question again today. How do we grow in our faith? How do we hit that curve where we feel like, man, I actually am becoming more like Jesus. I can see it. I feel it. I know it in my life. I'm seeing the way I'm interacting with people all over my world change. I'm actually being transformed. How does that happen? Is it even possible? Well, if you have a Bible or you want to follow on the screen, we're going to be looking at this passage in 1 John chapter 2, just three verses, 12 to 14. 1 John 2, 12 to 14. I'm going to read this. It says this. It's kind of a funny passage. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now, one thing to clarify here in this little passage The ages, like the children, fathers, and the young men. First of all, the dear children phrase, he's probably just referring to the whole group of people that he's writing to. He uses that phrase over and over again throughout this book as he refers to his readers. He's always calling them children. He uses a couple different words for it, but it's the same idea. Dear children, these ones that he has in some ways been a father to. And secondly, I don't think fathers and young men is excluding women. I think it's just a a shorthand way of saying all of you. We would say that in this way, the young and the old. That's kind of saying all the people, okay? And here's the three things, surprisingly, we see in this passage that are all throughout this book. The first is this, intimacy. Three times of these six statements of encouragement, right, about who they are, it regards knowing God, either the Father or the one who is from the beginning. Two different ways to refer to God. The second thing we see in this passage is they are called children, and they, this idea of that they are forgiven. That is their identity. That's who they are. And the third we see is this piece of authority. They have overcome the evil one. Past tense. By putting their faith in Jesus, becoming God's children, they are now living from a place of victory. So today, as we focus on this piece of intimacy, um, this is what we're going to see in the book of 1 John. Life is knowing God. Pardon the pun, but knowing God is cardinal. Okay? Sorry, it's a kind of bird. Okay. It's red, it's still around in the winter, it doesn't fly south. Maybe you'll see one. Knowing God is the key to progressing in our faith. If there is anything else that will allow you to grow in your walk with God or become more like Jesus, it is knowing God. Now, I used this word intimacy earlier. Maybe that's a funny word to you to use when you talk about God, but this is what that really means when we say that. It just means that you are becoming a friend to God. You have a relationship with, with, with him. And yes, according to the Bible, it's actually possible to have that kind of a relationship with God. Now, when I asked Rodney about how he got to know so much about birds in such a short time, 
he told me the story of how there was a, a woman in his church whose husband was an avid birder and found out that Rodney was kind of starting an interest in learning about birds. And so they connected, and this guy just started to take him out to all these different hot spots to find birds. And through traveling with this guy to different areas and just catching the lingo about different parts of a bird and like what different birds were, it just opened the world of birding to him. It was through a relationship, in this case a mentoring relationship, that Rodney hit that growth curve in his birding experience. It is the same with us. We will not grow to become more like Jesus if we do not know God. It is that simple. There is no way around a relationship with God. In fact, you cannot do God's will without God. Because God's will is doing things with him, primarily more than anything else. That is what he has called us to. Now, just so you know, I'm not just kind of pulling this out of my hat and this one little, you know, kind of weird phrase about children and young men. This isn't just John. Knowing God was, was also core for Paul. Philippians 3 says this, Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The writer of Hebrews, mysterious, we don't know who it is necessarily, he quotes Jeremiah about how God's people would relate to him in this new covenant area that Jesus brought in. He says, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. And Jesus makes this clear as well in John 17. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And guys, this isn't just them communicating. We see this in their lives. The whole book of Acts is about people walking in relationship with God and bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. All of Jesus, right, in the four gospels, he's walking in intimacy with God. We see him communicating with God. We see voices coming out of heaven, him having supernatural knowledge for people that he couldn't know by himself. And God is showing him. It's all over the place. This is the key to looking and living like Jesus in our lives. It's knowing God. Now, some of you are sitting there because you've been in church a long time and you're going, duh. You know, I saw J.F. Packer's book, Knowing God, right? This is, I know that this is, a, this, is, this is a no-brainer. So what is the barrier then for us that keeps us from knowing God or keeps us from pursuing that relationship with Him? Where in our lives, we are putting other things before spending time with Him. Or we're just kind of pushing Him out in our heart to the periphery because of some reason. Well, this is what I think is the core barrier. It is that we do not believe that God is good. If there is one thing that keeps us from knowing and pursuing a relationship with God that will be the actually only thing that can transform our lives, it's a lack of faith or experience in God's goodness. So this is what John sets out in his book to counter. Now, from what I understand, I'm not a Greek scholar, but Luke, the Gospel of Luke, is like, boom, boom. Excellent grammar, language, style. It's like literature. And then it kind of moves down from there. Luke was a physician. He was probably, you know, well-versed in, you know, the rules of grammar and literature and all that stuff. John is way down here. 
very simple language. But incredibly enough, with simple language, I think John has some of the most profound statements in the entire Bible, both the book of John and, the, and, his, and his writings. And here's two of them that I think God wants to highlight for us today. What is it that keeps us from pursuing a relationship with God that is life-transforming? Well, the answer, right, the opposite of that is this. It's knowing that God is light and that God is love. It's three words, both of those statements. God is light, John says. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Now think about what that means. That means there's not, there's not a dark side of God. There's not a bad side. There's nothing in him that is dark whatsoever. Every part of who he is is light. It's goodness. It's the fullness of that. When we think about God and doubt his goodness, we forget that in him there is no darkness. No darkness at all. There is nothing bad. There is nothing wicked. There is no evil intent in God whatsoever. He has never wronged anyone. And John goes on to say later on, in him is no sin. Again, for some of you, this is a theological no-brainer, but do we really believe that? That God is completely good, that he is light. He's never failed. There's no dark side to him whatsoever. I had a friend named Chuck in high school, another friend from high school. And Chuck transferred into my school uh, our sophomore year. And my first impression of him was just, I just was kind of like, meh. We shaped some classes together. I remember specifically an English, honors English class that we were in. That's kind of where I first connected with him. And I just, I don't know, I just, I just had enough friends. My heart was kind of closed to meeting new friends. Junior year came around and I got a car. And Chuck lived on my way to school. And so he started asking me for rides home from school. And what are you going to say? It's like on the way, right? You're going to say, no, sorry. You know, can't do that. At least I didn't have the guts to say that. I, just, I didn't really want to give him a ride, but I just said, fine. You know, I'll, give this, I'll give this kid Chuck a ride home. Gave him a few rides, you know, two or three times in. He, he said, hey, you want to you come in and like play some ping pong or something? So I, 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 I conceded, you know, to going into his house, you know. And that turned into the, the best friend that I had in high school. Right? What was this really bad first impression of Chuck, and I had a heart that was closed off to him, was totally wrong. He was an awesome guy. He was totally fun to be around. He was kind. He was a considerate friend. And he welcomed me actually into his whole family. I became good friends with his sister and his younger brother too. And even his parents. It was a long-term friendship. I think it's the same way for us with God. From the things that have happened in our lives, maybe even some of the things that we read about in the Bible, God has gotten a bad first impression in our minds. And part of the problem is we don't really know him. If we knew him, we would know that he is good. John takes it a step further. You already heard me say in 1 John 4, 7, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. 
Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Right? Love comes from God because God is love. There may not be a more profound statement in the Bible than those three little words. That God is love. All of the enemies of this world want a war against that statement and convince us that it is not true. There's nothing more true about God. Now, you read the Bible. You, you, know, you look at, okay, the flood, Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, all that wrath and war in the Old Testament. And even the stuff in your own life. Well, the guy that wrote this knew the Old Testament. This is John. He probably had large portions of it memorized. And yet, he is defining this God that, yes, punishes sin in you know, all kinds of different ways. He is defining this God. His core attribute is love. How is he doing that? How can he get over all these different obstacles that oftentimes stand in our way? Now, maybe he was brilliant too. And there are good answers to some of these problems that we see in our lives. All right, here's what John did know about God from the Old Testament. There's a common refrain that's repeated over and over again. It says, his steadfast love endures forever. And another verse in Ezekiel says this, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? God takes no pleasure in judgment. He wants all people to know Him and experience His love because He's good. I think for a long time, I just had this, this thought that, I don't know, some of the things that God called us to do and be, He actually wasn't also. Like the fruit of the Spirit, for instance. I just thought, okay, these are some nice qualities that God wants us to be as nice people. And at one point, it just clicked for me. No, these are the fruit of the Spirit. These are attributes of God. God is love. God is joy. God is peace, right? He's kind. He's good. He's gentle. He's faithful. He is self-controlled and doesn't manipulate us. This is God. This is the God that we, that, we, that we worship, that we're singing to. And this is what else John knew. He writes about this later in his letter. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And then he says later, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the God that John knew. All of those things that might have been in his mind of challenges of what he'd read in the Bible or the hardship of his own life, there was something there that he encountered in Jesus that radically altered him, that brought him to this point of saying that God is love. And John knew this because he knew Jesus. The passage that I read earlier, that little quote about God is light, it says, this is the message we heard from him. He got it from Jesus. 
This was the message of Jesus. In his life and in his words was that God is love. He loved every person he encountered. He showed them that, right? Not, not just through his words and his actions, but also supernatural power to heal them and care for their needs. And he ultimately showed this by his death on the cross. He would go so far as to give his life for us so that God would be able to forgive our sin and welcome us to be his children. That's the message of the Bible. To know God is to know love. So we live in kind of a crazy world right now with media, right? From TV, which obviously has been around for a while, but also, of course, the internet. It's not, it's just exploded. And one trend that you see over and over again is people just trashing other people. If you turn on ESPN, they're always criticizing this athlete and this person said this, and all you hear is a soundbite. You get a little blip of what somebody said that was probably tongue-in-cheek or they said accidentally or just was out of anger, and that's the identity that is, is plastered of this is who this person is. Think about what it was like 100, 200 years ago when the people that knew of you were the people that knew you. There was rare for people to know of you and not know your business. That's still that way in a lot of parts of the world. Our culture with the internet and the media and all that stuff, and also because we live in little mini castles separate from one another, right? we don't have that same connection. The point I'm trying to make is this. Don't bash God unless you know him. Get to know him, and you'll know what he's really like. You'll know that he is good. This is the challenge. And to know God is to know love, guys. To know God is to know love. Yes, we need to know what the Bible says about God. And that's obviously what we're looking at First John. But that needs to be amplified by a personal encounter with Jesus. An experience of God ourselves that you can't explain by mere logic. That is what God has for us this year. To know God, to have a relationship with him, is to, is to know love. And God's desire for you to know this is intense. I want to have the band come back up. This is how I want to respond today. I want you to ask one simple question of God. The challenge is, if we want to be transformed in our lives, it's only going to come through knowing God. And the, the joy, the beauty of this is that to know God is to know love. There's something beautiful there for us to encounter. So the question I want to leave you with, the band's going to play uh, just for a minute or two. And I'm just going to give you a, a, a minute or two to ask this question of God. God, what am I believing about you that is not true? And the second question I want you to ask is what is truth? Now, I just, I, want you to, I just want to bolster your faith right here. I'm asking you to ask that question right now and expect an answer immediately. If you don't get an answer in your mind immediately after you ask that question, I want you to ask it again. Give God 10, 15 seconds, max. Ask it again. If you need to ask it out loud, whisper it so you don't feel awkward, the person next to you hears you, if that makes you feel awkward. But guys, I want you to ask that question and hear from God today. What is it about you that I am believing that is not true? And when you hear that, Ask him what the truth is. 
Okay, I'm gonna give you a couple minutes to do that and then I'll move us into this, the next part of response. So Lord, we just invite you to speak. You're already here and we open our hearts to you. Would you speak to us and tell us what is it about you that we are believing that is not true? Speak to us, Lord. Thank you, God.